So yeah, Lee already mentioned that today ends the, um, the seven-day fast that I called for the church. And um, you know what? Uh, and I fasted before. I really tried to press in a little bit harder this time than, than I've done before. And um, I've shared with the church last week that you know, I, I was saved for, for several, probably decades, before I had ever, I, we never did fast, and the Baptist never did that. And uh, it was brand new for me, but, but Lee is so right. Um, you become more sensitive to God's spirit, his voice, and um, it's just amazing what it does. I, I can't, I really, it's, I don't think anybody can really explain it to you unless you've done it. It's something you have to experience, and, um, but it truly is, I believe, a life-changing thing if, if, you'll, if you allow the flesh, if you put the flesh down and do that. But, but the, one of the revelations I did receive and this is in a real physical way, it's the battle between the spirit and the flesh is real. It's a real battle. You know, Paul, if you read his letters in the New Testament, uh, on several occasions he talked about the war that we wage inside, the fight, the battle that goes on. And it is a, it's a real war. And, and, and it's a, it, it, the, the flesh is with us every day. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We wage war. But the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we overcome. We're overcomers because of the Holy Spirit that is in us. But, um, but they are in conflict. They're competing for our allegiance. The spirit and the flesh are constantly competing for our allegiance. The spirit in me, you know, when I think about this fast and, you know, the flesh side of me is excited that it's ending, but the spirit really doesn't want it to stop. And um, when I think about what the spirit is teaching me and showing me, I understand why. Um, in Galatians chapter 5, the Bible says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. And there, you know, Paul, I believe, makes it crystal clear of the battle that rages within the spirit, and, and, and what does he say? He says, you put, lay aside, put to death the desires of the flesh that you might what? That you might gratify the desires of the spirit. That, that's the goal for me as a believer, is I want the spirit to win, and I want the flesh to die. And that's, that's the constant battle. Jesus, what did Jesus say? Take up your cross daily and follow me. You know, it wasn't that cross. That, that was his cross. Our cross is death to self. De death to ourselves. So, um, so um, I was fasting, um, and I mentioned this to the church when we had our vision meeting, that you know, I, I wanted God to change me. You know, I, w I wanted him to change me. And there's three areas that um, I, I said I was going to focus on this past week. It was um, compassion, uh, compassion for the lost, a hunger for the things of God, and uh, a holiness, a setting myself apart unto holiness. And... Um, so I think if, if, if we were honest as Christians, all of us would agree that we, um, I don't know if we have those up there or not, but the compassion, hunger, and holiness, I think all of us would agree that we, we struggle with those. At least in, in one of those, all of us could admit, but I, I know for me, I think at times, there's been a battle for all three of those. And um, so, so during the past week as I was fasting, I, and I began to focus on those three areas, the, God just kind of impressed to kind of take those three things and turn it into like a little series. Amen. So I'm going to do that today and just kind of take those three points and maybe kind of dive a little bit deeper into each of those. And um, so I called the series, Lord, Change Me. 
you know, Lord, change me. And that's really, that should be all of our prayer. And even if you're a Christian, the Bible says you're a new creation in Christ, but there's always something that God can still change. I've not, I've not perfected this thing yet, and I won't perfect it till Christ comes or till he takes me home. I won't, I won't be perfect. So there's always areas in our lives that God, can, that God can change and do a work. So today's message is going to be the compassion of the Good Samaritan as we focus on the, on the compassion uh, component of those three areas. But, um, you know, by definition, uh, change is required for me to become and do that all Christianity entails. I, I have to become different. I, I have to change. And, you know, if you think about it, to become like someone else, someone has to die. Because if I want to become like Christ, David's got to die. It can't be David and Christ reigning in David's heart. It's only going to be one. So if I say I want to become like Christ, then somebody's got to die. That somebody's you and me. We, we, we have to die. And, um, you know, the principle of dying to self will take a lifetime to master. God is constantly removing and shaving and cutting away the rough edges of the selfish flesh, impatience, judgmental attitude, immorality, laziness, critical spirit, and on and on. You see, the potter, the potter is always perfecting the clay. In other words, that, that it's, not, it's never a final product. It's, that we're on the wheel, and hopefully, and that's really what Christianity is all about, is you got to stay on the wheel. <laughs> you know, what we, we want to jump off the wheel. Right. We, we want to we go run and do our thing, but God says, no, stay on the wheel. I'm still, I'm shaping you. I'm, I'm molding you. Right. And God's making a masterpiece. He's, he's shaping us into something that is, that is conforming us into the likeness and the image of Jesus Christ. And uh, so... So I believe the Lord is taking his church, and, and in particular this church, um, from a church that, that is saying the things of God, and we're going to transition from this saying the things, we're going to begin to do the things. You know, it's one thing to say the word of God and to quote the word of God, but it's another thing to actually put those things into practice. And that's what I'm asking God to transition me to do, is we can say the things but God, I want to do the things that your word says. I want, to, I want to do what the word of God says. So it's one thing to say to the Lord, change me. It's another to actually allow him to do so. It's two different things when we do that. And so let's agree for God to do anything in me or with me, I can't stay the same. I'm not going to better stay the same. It's just something's got to change for me to do these things. So when we look at compassion, the, the compassion uh, component here, you know, compassion in the Bible is really a family affair. And if you think about it, you know, we read the Bible, God, you know, God is a God, is a God that is full of compassion and mercy, Psalms 145, 8. It says, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. Isn't that amazing? We should be so thankful that the God we serve, that the creator of the universe, that the Lord of heaven and of earth is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. That's, that's our God. I'm thankful, God. That's who you are. That's, that's, that's who God is. And then when we look at the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, uh, one of the roles of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is he's a revelator. He's a revealer. 
the Holy Spirit reveals to us the truth of who God and who Jesus Christ is. That, that, that's, that's his job, is to bring revelation of the truth of God. In John 16, 13, it says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, full and complete truth, for he will not speak on his own initiatives, but he will speak whatever he hears from the Father, the message regarding the Son, and will disclose to you what is to come in the future. So that's the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, in partnership with God, is revealing to us God. Well, who's God? God's full of compassion. God's full of mercy. God's full of love. That, that's the Holy Spirit revealing those things to us. And then when we look at the Bible in the New Testament, Jesus really, he gave us the complete picture of compassion. In other words, it's like, the, it's like in the Old Testament, uh, the, we, we, we had a glimmer of who God was, and God, God showed the nation of Israel, and, and, and through his word, he showed us and taught us who he was in his compassion. But in the New Testament, when Jesus Christ came, what did Jesus do? He gave us a real-life, physical, flesh, living example. This is, this is compassion. This is who God is. And, um, and, and I'm just blown away when people read the Bible and they, they can't identify or relate to Jesus as someone who is loving and compassionate and forgiving. The, the, the devil, and I've said this before, and the world has done an excellent job of, of creating a, a, a spirit that is lying to the world, that's telling him that God doesn't love you, that God's keeping a record of all your sins, that, that God is judging you, that God hates you. And when I read the New Testament, that's not what I find. The, Jesus was a friend to sinners. He sat with sinners. He ate with sinners. He bumped up against sinners. He loved the sinner. The ones that the Pharisees and the religious people didn't want anything to do with God. But, but see, what we forget when, when we're reading the New Testament and we're, we're listening and we're seeing what Jesus did, yes, Jesus was a man, but he was also God. So Jesus was showing us the heart of God. That's God. That's not a man. That's God. That's God's heart. So this parable I'm going to read here today, and I, I, you know, I thought about this, and I always think about this when I read the teachings of Christ, when um, the, the New Testament and Jesus is in, in the Gospels. You know, a lot of times Christians, I believe, overcomplicate the gospel. In other words, we, we, we overcome in the sense that we try to make it, I think, more complicated than what it really is. And Jesus Christ comes on the scene. He's the Son of God. He's God. And he begins to teach and to speak, but he doesn't speak in a way that comes across as a philosophical, scientific, you know, professor, that kind of thing. He, he, his words are relatable, and they're identifiable, and they're they're, they're down-to-earth words, but they're full of power. And for you and I, what we need is we need to grasp the truth behind what Christ was saying. But when Jesus speaks, every word that Jesus Christ spoke, it was like perfect, perfect words coming straight from heaven. Like, like pure, in its purest sense, the truth of who God is. Do you all understand what I'm saying? It, 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 it's purest in its sense that this is who God is. And when we read this, we see this, we'll see this in this parable. It's simple, but it's powerful. It's powerful the way that God spoke to us. So we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, 
Many of you are, are familiar with this parable. Many of you have either heard about the parable, you may have read it yourself, but we're going we're gonna to look at this. And, um, you know, Jesus, again, he gave us the complete picture of compassion in his teaching, and I, I believe in this parable that he shared is a, is a picture, an illustration for us of, of compassion. So in Luke chapter 10, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from, Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor for the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And there, there are many lessons that you and I can glean from this parable, but I believe none is greater than the lesson of compassion, Amen. the lesson of compassion that God shares with us here. And, um, you know, when we think of compassion, um, I think a lot of times the first thing we think of when we think of the word is, is, is an emotional thing. Like, if I have compassion for someone, I, I feel sorry for them. In other words, I, I, I'm, I'm, I feel sorry for their condition. I feel sorry for their state, whatever. I, it, it, it's more of, a, of, a, of an emotional thing. But really, the meaning of compassion goes much deeper than just emotion. And we're going to look at a definition here. The definition of compassion, according to the Webster Dictionary, is the sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. The component of action is what separates compassion from empathy. Sympathy, pity, concern, condolence, sensitivity, tenderness, commensuration, or any other compassion synonym. Compassion gets involved. When others keep their distance from those who are suffering, compassion prompts us to act on their behalf. Amen. See, the action is the, is the word that's, that's really critical here when we think of compassion. And, and again, it's easy for us to say, I have compassion on someone, I feel compassion. We can say that, but it's a different thing when, 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 we, when we take it to another level where there's action, where we, where we actually act on that. And I believe that's what this this parable is, um, is showing us here. So let, 
let's just break down this, this, this parable here and see the truth that Jesus was revealing to us here. Um, it says a man was attacked by robbers and left uh, half dead. And the little study that I did, the, the trip that this man was taking from Jericho to Jerusalem was evidently a road that, that most people were aware of. When you traveled this road, there was a good chance that you were probably going to get attacked. So um, the parable doesn't say this, but I think that leads a little bit of credence when we think of compassion. You know, some of us, some people make stupid decisions in their life, and it leads to bad consequences. And sometimes it might be hard for us to have compassion on them because we feel like, well, you made the decision. That's the condition to put you in. Live with your consequences. So this, this man, he probably didn't make the wisest of decisions, especially if he was traveling alone to go on the route that he took. But that's the route that he took. And Jesus said that he was, he was robbed and he was, he was left for half dead. Well, if we look at what this represents in the spiritual sense, and you have to remember this, parables, when Jesus told a parable, the parable was a real-life story, but what we had to look for underneath the parable was the spiritual truth that Jesus was trying to reveal to us. It wasn't just on the surface what the parable said. You've got to dig deep and go underneath that thing to find out what was the spiritual truth that Jesus was trying to communicate. Well, when we think of this man that was robbed, he was left for half dead, that, in my mind, is the condition of people who were lost without Christ. They, they, are, they are confused. They are, they are downtrodden. They are oppressed. They are lost. They are helpless in their own selves. They are like this man that was left half dead. They, they are lost and confused in this world. And, um, you know, when we see this, parable that Jesus is sharing, and he's given this, this example of this man that was left for half dead. Um, I thought about this, this song that I, that I used to know. It's called People Need the Lord. And um, it was sung by Steve Green. And this is just some of the lyrics that's in the, um, in, the, in the song. It says, every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries, only Jesus hears. People need the Lord, people need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord, people need the Lord. When will we realize people need the Lord? And I just thought that was so appropriate for this parable when we look at that condition of the man, but those people that, that are like this man in this parable are all around us every day. There, there are people that we might not see it on the outside, but inside they're suffering, they're lonely, they're distressed, they're, they're confused, they're, some of them may be suicidal, they, they may be bound up with drugs or addictions or different things, and they're, they're, they're all around us, and, and God's got to give us a way to identify and to grab the heart to begin to see who they are and the need that they have. But, but look at the ones who, who passed by. It was a priest and a Levite. These are the ones who claimed to know the Word of God. They claimed to know the Old Testament. They were not only uh, knew what the Old Testament said, they were teachers of the law. They were instructors of the law. They were, they, they, they were priests and they, they, they were Levites. But what... What does the, the Bible say? The Bible says as they were, 
as they saw, they saw the man laying there in his condition, and what did they do? They deliberately went on the other, they went on the other side as if, almost as if to say, if I, if I walk on the other side, it's going to be as if I can tell myself I never saw. Well, you did see because just by the fact that you changed the direction of the way you walked tells yourself that you saw that. But, but, but both of them, they saw this man in the condition that he was in, but the Bible says that both of them, they just, they just passed the man by. But then Jesus says in the parable, then a Samaritan, then a Samaritan came by, passed them by. Why is it so significant that this man was a Samaritan? Well, if you read and study the Bible, the Jews despised the Samaritans. They hated them because Samaritans were half-breed. They were a, they were a mixed breed. They weren't 100% Jewish people. They had intermingled with non-Jews and married, and, and, and they, they were an interbreed. So they, they were not pure Jews. And the Bible says that Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. They, they, they despised one another. So Jesus deliberately mentioned that this Samaritan, the one that the Jews despised, the priest and the Levite, this man that you didn't associate with, this, this man, um, this is the man that, that, that was the good Samaritan, and we're going we're gonna to look, look at this. So um, in verse 33, let's look at what the good Samaritan did here. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So the first thing that I believe this parable is showing us about compassion is compassion knows no prejudice. Compassion knows no prejudice. See, all three men saw the person in need, but only one of them took pity on him. See, to the Samaritan, it didn't matter who this man was. It didn't matter whether he was a Jew, whether he was a Greek, whether he was rich, whether he was poor, educated, non-educated, it didn't matter. All that mattered to the Samaritan was what? That man needed help. He was in distress. He was... He might have been dead, but we don't know. He was left for half dead. We don't know what's the only thing that mattered to that Samaritan was the condition of this man, not, not who this man, not who this man was. See, compassion has no boundaries. We cannot, we cannot allow, allow race or social status or religion or political affiliation, drug addict, alcohol addict, prostitute. It doesn't matter. Compassion sees no boundaries. It, Compassion goes directly to the need of a person. And what is the need of everybody in this world today? They need Jesus Christ. They need salvation. They're lost, the Bible says. So I cannot look at someone and, and, have, and, and draw the line and say, well, I'll have compassion on this group, but I won't have compassion on this group. If that, if that was the case in Christ, some of us in here may be excluded. But God had compassion on what? the whole whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's compassion for the whole earth. That, that, that's what God came. So we cannot, we cannot show any, any favoritism, any, that there's no boundaries with, with compassion. The Bible says that Jesus came for the sick, not the healthy. That Jesus came for those who were sick, not, not those who, who think that they, that, that they were okay. See, true compassion is only concerned with the condition of others. Everybody needs salvation. Everyone apart from Christ is lost and without hope. They, they are lost. Compassion looks past the outward and goes straight to the need, the forgiveness and the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ. 
See, Jesus showed compassion when, when, he was, when the Gospels were written and the stories that were recorded about him and the Pharisees and the religion, they could not understand what Jesus was doing. Yet they claimed to be godly. They claimed to be religious. But here Jesus was. He's forgiven tax collectors. He's forgiven prostitutes. He's forgiven adulterers. He's doing all those things. Who is this man? It's God. That's God. That's his love. That, that's his mercy. So people need to be rescued from their sin regardless of what they look like or how they got in, in, in their condition. And, um, you know, I, I've shared this story before, I think, but if you've heard this before, I apologize if, if you're hearing it again, but, but I believe it's fitting for this, for this parable and for this message. I, my wife and I, when we were a part of the Baptist church, we had gotten involved with the organization called the Gideons. And many of y'all are probably familiar with the Gideons. If you've ever been in a hotel room uh, or even in a hospital, you pull the drawer open by the side of the bed. There's a, usually a Bible that's, uh, uh, even to this day, when I go to a hotel, I'm always curious to know, is there a Gideon Bible in that, in that hotel room? And Gideons are not a religion. It's not a denomination. It's simply an organization of professional men that have gotten together and they, have, they distribute the word of God. Thank, thank you, Jesus. That they, they do it in jails. They, they do it overseas. They do it in schools, hospitals, nursing homes, all those different places. And one of the highlights of the Gideon ministry is Angola Penitentiary is, is in Angola, Louisiana. And we, at the time when I was with the Gideons, this was many years ago, we had the privilege of going into that penitentiary. Like, like not just in the front, we actually went into the penitentiary to every inmate that was there. We had access to all of them. And the first time that I, that I went there, I, never, I had never been in jail before, much less the penitentiary. I, I, I never experienced anything like this. And I just wanted to say, God, just use me. And, you know, really, we went with the, with the goal of distributing the Bible, but really what we were doing, we, was, we were witnessing. And, and when we went, there really wasn't a time frame. They, we, we had access, we had liberty, we had freedom. So we went with the Bible, but the Bible was really a tool for us to begin to open up our mouth and share the gospel. That, that's really what we did. And so the first time that I went, I got appointed to what was called a maximum security section. And this, if you, you've probably never been to Angola, and that, that's a good thing. But, but anyway, if you go there, it's, it's huge. It's, it's like a complex. You've got to drive to these different uh, places where they got these cell blocks or whatever where they got. And, and we had to get in a car, and we had to drive to this, to this cell block. And you got in there, and the guard came in, and he, they had, a, they had a, a, an iron gate. He opened up and let us into like a foyer-type area. And I say it was like right here. It's a lot smaller than this room. And then there was a hallway like this, and on each side of the hallway were these cell blocks. They were small. I mean, if you, if you were standing like this, for me, I would probably, t I don't think I could even put my hands that wide, and I don't think it was more than maybe eight feet long. And they had a, a stainless steel sink. There was a toilet that was exposed. And the, each room had, each cell block had one person. It was like a solitary confinement kind of, kind of condition for this maximum security. And um, so I'm going to these things, and I just, I just broke because when I saw that it, it didn't matter. This guy, I, I went, saw, saw him in this, in this cell block, and my heart just, I just broke for him that he was in that place. Not that he didn't deserve to be there. I, I'm not saying he didn't deserve to be there. I, I don't know what his crime was. It may have been murder. I, I don't know what it was, but, but, but it, the, the Holy Spirit really convicted me and just really overwhelmed me with the spirit of compassion. I began to weep. I was weeping. And I, it was just for his the, him being there, whatever, 
well, maybe it was his parents didn't love him. Uh, you know, but different, many, many different things led to his road for him to get where he was. And, and so after we were finished, the guard kind of came and he was leading us out. And the guard thought that whoever this was, like, scared me or said something to, like, intimidate me or whatever. And it wasn't that at all. And the, he, I, I couldn't really compose myself to explain to him and probably wouldn't have been able to explain to him anyway what I was saying. But he thought, he thought the man did something to me that, that scared me. And it wasn't, I wasn't scared. I was glad to go. And, you know, God, you know, God needs to take all of us to a place where we have compassion for people. You know, a lot of times, and even Christians can say this, you know, he, that he raped someone, he, he, he murdered someone, he, he stole from someone, he cheated on his taxes. Take the book and throw the book at him. But Jesus doesn't throw the book. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus forgives. Yes, we have laws and we have penalties and there's consequences for sin and there's consequences for... for, for I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not against that. But we still have to show compassion regardless of what it was that placed them in the condition that they're in. We can't judge them. We, can't, we cannot judge them. We have to love them just, just, as Christ, just as Christ loved them. So if you think about it, uh, why was Jesus so attractive to sinners? Because he loved them. They, the, the, sinner, the sinner never felt threatened by Christ. They, they felt loved. They, in other words, they would have never known that that was God. And they didn't. They didn't know. He, I'm the son of God. He claimed those things. They didn't, the disciples, the disciples didn't really understand this was the Messiah. How much more the people that weren't with Jesus as much as the 12 disciples were. But he was with the sinner. He, he loved them. He if you, what, what does the Bible say when, G, what, when Jesus walked around? What does it say? Crowds, crowds followed him. He was there was all, why? Because he 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 was love was constantly going. On. Grace was going out. Compassion was going out. Forgiveness was going out. This this permeated from his being. It's who Jesus was. Don't you want to get to a place where you start attracting crowds? That there's something about you. Maybe you're in your your demeanor or your conduct or the way you treat someone else that all of a sudden you just become attractive to lost people and people want to just kind of start clinging to you and then we can begin to express the beautiful gospel message of the cross. I want that to happen in my life. Amen. That that someone sees something different in me that says something about you. I, I can see you you love you love me you you care you're not you're not above me you. You, you care about me. That's what God needs to do for me, I know, and I, I hope for all of us we, we have that desire. See, compassion cares for the person regardless of the mistakes that they have made. Only the Holy Spirit can give us the love, give, give us this love for others. On our own, we are selfish and self-centered. That's who we are. We're, we're, we're self-centered. We're, we're selfish in every way. So what definition of who is my neighbor is your compassion based on? Who's your neighbor? See, the, the lawyer, the teacher of the law, he said, who was my neighbor? And what did Jesus say? What does the Bible say? It says he did this to justify himself. See, he was hoping that Jesus was going to tell him, your neighbor is your friends, or your neighbor is your close companions, or your neighbor is the people you like. But Jesus goes on and, and, goes on and flips that thing completely upside down and says, I'm going to show you who your neighbor is. <laughs> and I'm going to use a Samaritan. To prove, to prove the point here. So the next thing here in verse 34, it says, 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next thing we see in this parable is compassion actively engages others. Compassion actively engages others. See, this is where it moves from just feeling sorry for someone to actually getting involved and getting and getting engaged. See, most people see others in need. Some people take pity, but few people are willing to start bandaging the wounds. See, we all see the need. We, we, we see the loss. We see the need. Some of us might take pity. It says he took pity on this man, but what, what, what did he do? He went to the man. He didn't try to find another way around. He engaged the situation. He walked to where this man was, and he, enga- and he engaged them. See, this is the essence of Christianity, loving others by our deeds and our actions, not by what we say, but by what we do. It's by what we do. But see, this is where the friction begins, because my flesh is, uh, is not interested in anyone but me. Let's be honest with ourselves. Who do you spend the most time taking care of every day? You. It's just a matter of fact. We do that. And that's where we have to allow the Holy Spirit to begin to exchange selfishness for the love of Christ, which will in turn give us love for others. It can only happen by the Holy Spirit. On your own, on my own, my flesh flesh does does not want any of this. Philippians 2 It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each each of you to the interests of others. See, when I read that scripture, it's like like the Lord placing a dagger right in my flesh because my flesh knows that's me, that that I'm interested in self. And the Bible says, look not only to your own interests, but what? Also the interests of others. See, we got to think of others as better than ourselves. That's hard to do. That's impossible to do without the Holy Spirit. Without Christ in us, we, we, cannot, we cannot get to that place to value others better than yourself. The Samaritan valued this man's helpless condition above his own interest. He was more concerned about that man's condition than he was his own selfish interests. See, Jesus engaged the condition of others. He went to where the demoniacs were. Remember the, the, the demon, what, was, what did it say? It says he was so, this man was so distraught, so wild, so out of control. What did the Bible say? They had him in chains. But what, what did he do with the chains? He used to break the chains. So that tells me that the, the, the society and the community was trying to place this man, that he was like an outcast. Like, just, just push him away. Let's just lock him up and get him out. But what did Jesus, Jesus went right there. In other words, he went right to the person and the people that society was trying to push away. Jesus walked right in. As I command you in the name, leave. He took authority over that, over that spirit. Jesus went to lepers. He went to tax collectors. Jesus went to the Samaritan woman. See, this is why the story of the Samaritan woman is so significant. Jews and Samaritans didn't talk. Uh, much less Jews talking to a, to a woman. But what did Jesus do? Jesus talked, why? Because that Samaritan woman needed the love of Christ. She needed rivers of life. She needed the love of of God. See, if we are followers of Jesus, then we must begin to take an interest in others and be willing to get involved in their lives. That's true discipleship. That's true Christianity. Jesus said, well, go forth and make disciples. 
Baptizing, that's, that's huge. But that's not the only step. Cody, it's like being born again, the Bible says. We've got we to gotta, we gotta take you by the hand now. We've got to train you. We've got to walk with you, disciple you, love you, spend time with you, all those different things. That's discipleship. We've got to be willing to take the next step to get, to, to get involved. See, it says he bandaged his wounds. It says he put him in his donkey, but really he put him in his car. That's, that's how it would read today if Jesus was sharing that prayer. He put him in his car and he drove him to an end. He, he took, see, he didn't just go over there and clean him up a little bit and say a prayer. He, he got involved. He took, the ne- he took the next step. Okay, come, come with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you somewhere. That, that's real compassion, actively getting involved in someone else's life. And then verse 35, it says, The next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The next thing I believe this parable shows us is compassion is willing to make a sacrifice. Compassion is willing to make a sacrifice. See, this man, he went above and beyond the help and the need of this person that was in help. But note the progression of the Good Samaritan. He first saw the need. All three of them saw the need, the, the Levite, the priest, and the Samaritan. They all saw, but the, the, the good Samaritan saw the need. Then what he did? He went to the need. There, there might be somebody in your life, God is showing you the need of that person. You, you, you see that person, God has already revealed to you that person has a need. What's the next step? I, I got to go. Right. I, I'm praying for them. That's good, but I got I to gotta go. I, I gotta, I gotta go to them. I gotta text them. I gotta call them. I gotta visit them. I gotta somehow, some way. I gotta find a way to break through. I gotta go. See that that that's compassion. And then he engaged the need. And then now it says he was willing to make a sacrifice. But note here, it's not just a monetary sacrifice. He was willing to rearrange his whole schedule that this man might get some help. He went. He went the next day. He didn't just drop him off and say goodbye and drive off into the sunset. He went back and, 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 and checked on the man and said, is any, anything you need, here's some, here, here's, here's some money. Take, take care of this man. See, we've got to be willing. to. It's, it's going to be a sacrifice. See, we will never experience true compassion if we are unwilling to make a sacrifice. And, you know, again, maybe it's just finding who that person is in our life and you know, I, I preached a message, I think it was a year or two ago, about, about Jesus and going after the one. What did Jesus say? He leaves the 99 and he goes after one. See, and sometimes the devil tries to make a Christian think you've got to save 100, and God is telling us all you've got to do is go get one. If, if, I, if I had to get 100, I would get overwhelmed. But if all I had to get was one, I can manage one. You can manage one. We, we can manage one. And that's, imagine that. That, that Baptist, we, we'd be baptizing every week. That's what I want. I, I, I want that. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to require, it's going to require compassion. We're going to have to be willing to get involved. I'm just going to ask Ray if he could just to come up and begin to play as I close here. Um, Jesus said in Luke 14, 28, for which of you intending to build a tower does not, does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it. See, compassion is going to cost you something. It's going to cost us to, to do this. See that? And that's what I'm hoping with this fast, at least for me, that I allow the Spirit to compress my flesh. 
to put the flesh down that the spirit man might rise up. And the flesh would keep opposing what the spirit wants. And I would begin to allow the Holy Spirit to guide me and to, and to go love people, to care about them, to get involved with them, do all those things that God is calling us to do. We must ask God to give us the compassion of Jesus. And I, I believe if we seek it, God will give it to us because we're not asking God for something he doesn't want us to have. It's something he wants us to have. It's, a, it, it, it's something he, he wants us all to have. So I'm just going to ask all of us to stand, please, as I close here.